there is evidence that there is a part of our nature that is tribalistic and that's what is being tapped into but there's also ample evidence thousands of years of evidence that there's a part of us that wants to unite and form a more cohesive uh, group of humans the rational view is a weekly series hosted by me dr alan scott providing a rational evidence-based perspective on important societal issues Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. Thanks for listening. On this episode, I'm interviewing an entrepreneur who is trying to spread rational view by supplanting the AI-driven social media echo chamber that we're used to with a new and hopefully better idea. I hope you like it. If you do, please press like on your podcast app, Share it with your friends and send your comments to my Facebook group at The Rational View. Farzad Kozravi is the co-founder and CEO at Cicero. Farzad is an entrepreneur looking to build humane, civic-oriented technology that improves our world. He believes that we need to reverse the trend of misinformation and hate we see online if we are to save our society. A scientist at heart, and an immigrant who grew up in Kentucky, Farzad learned early on the value of skeptical inquiry. Farzad, welcome to The Rational View. Thanks for having me, Al. I've really enjoyed listening to your episodes. No, thank you. I'm a pleasure to have what you seem to be a kindred spirit uh, trying to spread the, the message of rationality. So I'm glad to give you a platform to chat about your, your work. Yeah, yeah, I am a kindred spirit. And going on that note, Al, I was asking you right before we started, what made you start on this uh, path <laughs> to, to spread it through your work? Um, yeah, what happened in the past couple of years? Yeah, I, I've I've always been, you know, a scientist and, you know, trying to fight against the forces of misinformation, just as, as you uh, are doing. And it's, it's always been a challenge because, you know, you go into the social media networks and it's one-on-one -on -one and uh, you're trying to fight against an echo chamber, people that have been brought through an echo chamber that have never had their views challenged. And as soon as you get to the point of stepping across that boundary, you have different facts. They, they have a different set of facts and it's very difficult to, to reach them. And... I felt like I've been losing ground over the years as as social media has progressed. And so that's why I started the podcast, because I wanted to to spread my message in a wider sense with maybe less frustration <laughs> and more success, hopefully, and, and to empower more people to be able to um, stand up against the, the forces of misinformation and, and go out and enter those echo chambers and break down the walls. I love that, Al. I mean... I was someone who, you know, as someone who got onto the internet back in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, I, I considered those kind of the, the golden ages of the rationality movement. You had Richard Dawkins, you had Daniel mm. Dennett, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, which, you know, I, I wish we had someone like him today. And mm -hmm. I was a child of that time. And you felt, you know, I was only, what, 14, 15, 16, but you felt like something was changing. We were on the precipice of something and then it just withered away. And, and if anything, you could argue it's gotten worse. I mean, of course, that's what I argued in my political science work that I did. And the data supports that. 
Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that not enough of us are speaking out. I mean, we can get into the reasons I think this is happening, but it's so needed that, that we put out good information. Go ahead. So before we get into you know what you're doing now, let's let's just step back a little bit. So you are an immigrant to the U.S. and you ended up in Kentucky. Uh, how did that happen? Where, where, where are you from originally? Yeah, yeah. I was born in Iran and it was 2001. We were supposed to come to the U.S. in 2002. And I remember very well seeing us in the living room watch 9-11 happen on TV live uh, in Iran and Tehran and being like, holy crap, we got to leave. Right? Like all of us knew this isn't going to bode well for us. Um, and my uncle, my mom's brother, had been in Kentucky and he'd been living in the U.S. for decades. And that's how we ended up there. We were very fortunate. We were very lucky. So Kentucky is not what I would categorize as a hotbed of rational inquiry. How did you come to you know, be a kindred spirit to, to scientists and, and pushing this message of rationality? What, what, what inspires you? What, what brought you to this place? Yeah, definitely isn't. And I had an upbringing that was a double-edged sword. On one hand, I was raised in Iran, and the rhetoric there, the, the, I mean, you wouldn't believe, when I tell people, you know, as an eight-year-old, seven-year-old child, we would have American flags and we would burn them. We would go in the schoolyard and yell, you know, death to America, death to Israel. Insanity. Like, this is public school. Uh, so that was the kind of rhetoric I was raised with. And then, of course, now I'm taken to the U.S. And I'm like, oh, this is everything I was told is bad. So I didn't really feel that way because I was really inspired by NASA and I had family here. But I get taken to the U.S. and Kentucky, of all places, very conservative, very mm-hmm. religious. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, this is a totally different mindset, totally different worldview. And then I grew up and I get access to the Internet. And somehow, by stroke of luck, I get exposed to Carl Sagan who really just started this journey for me. And I think the internet saved me. I mean, I, so many of my friends I saw not be lucky to be introduced mm-hmm. to that. But the fact that I had that crazy background just made it easier for me. Yeah, I mean, it must have been difficult as a, especially, you know, just post 9-11 in Kentucky as an Iranian family. Was, was there... Was there strong uh, hatred or anything like that expressed to you, or was it very accepting? How did you see, how did you find your your childhood? Yeah, a little. I mean, I some people would have experienced what I've experienced and been like, "This is really bad racism." But thankfully, some of the values I was raised with were like, "Okay, Farzad, kind of have the benefit of the doubt, kind of focus on you know not taking these things personally, not letting them hurt you," and that really helped me a lot growing up. Uh, I did fall into the mindset where I, you know, these things hurt me more than um, they would have in a, in a past life. But that's that's a whole nother story. So, <laughs> so you're co-founder and CEO at Cicero. Yeah. Can you tell me what Cicero is? Yeah. As I said, Al, you know, I, I learned very early on that geography and space time really space time determines your beliefs and how you view the world where you're born and what time you're born and that to me is the ultimate form of tyranny we've done such a good job as a society of fighting different forms of tyranny of course we have so much more room to make up but the fact that i can predict someone's political views by where they're born what their parents believe 
and what period of time they're born is a tragedy. It really is. And again, I was very lucky to, to use technology in a way that it helped me break free of that, right? Everything for me should, should have meant that I either become like this religious extremist in Iran or become this crazy conservative in, in Kentucky, but it didn't because I was saved by technology. And I want to bring that to more people. I mean, we have more knowledge today than the greatest emperors in Rome had the Library mm-hmm. of Alexandria, mm-hmm. yet it's so hard to find. It's too much noise. Yeah, there is a, a lot of noise out there. Um, so you decided to start Cicero. What, what, what is Cicero? Is it a, a blog? Is it a, an <laughs> app? T- tell me something. Yeah, yeah. I should have uh, said that earlier, but um, really wanted to get the philosophical foundations there first. But really what in reality it means is that I think the the rate at which information is created is exponentially increasing, but it's harder to find the good content. So there's a three-phase plan with Cicero. The first phase is to allow the discovery of podcasts, articles, uh, essays, and videos from world-leading thinkers. Right. This is what I try to do with my YouTube, what I try to do with my Spotify, what I try to do with my uh, Twitter. But if you've used any of these things before, you know that they'll just be like, oh, here's uh, a picture of brunch. Oh, here's like some music video with hot girls dancing. Oh, here's like crazy Ben Shapiro video. And it's very frustrating. Um, so the thing I keep hearing from users is social media frustrates me. Mainstream media frustrates me. There's filter bubbles. So I want an alternative, and that is what Cicero aims to do in its first phase. Now, I have big dreams for it, but that is what we're doing right now. So it's basically a social media uh, replacement, should we say? Yeah, the goal is to, (laughs) yeah, like the future I envision, Al, is in 20 years, no one is using social or mainstream media anymore. Just like, you know, 100 years ago, no one had mainstream media, and 40 years ago, no one had social media. We're on the precipice of the next evolution in that technology because we've all learned the downsides of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows sensationalism is driving this nation crazy. And to save our democracy, we got to change things. I mean, that's cultural and it's also technological. There's a lot of factors going into it. Okay, so Cicero is going to, um, it's going to collect um, positive messages and uh discussions from from leading thinkers and provide this uh, to the world. That's the the sort of vision behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So podcasts like yours, right? You probably have noticed how hard it is to get the attention that you're hoping for in Twitter on on. I know you don't I don't think you put it on YouTube. I can't find it. But or on Spotify, because there's so much other crap. Just, Just starting on YouTube, actually. Great. And you should be doing that. But there's just all these like you know, influencers and other crap that YouTube will put in front of you who have all these huge marketing budgets and all this fancy stuff. It's hard to find people like you. It's hard to find, you know, when you had Neil deGrasse Tyson on. And people want to find people like you. They do. They're asking me, they're telling me, there's hundreds of them every day telling me, hey, Farzad, I want this stuff. Hmm. We just need to make it easier. We need to cut through the noise. Okay. And that's the aim of Cicero. Yeah. That sounds like a, a great goal. Um, Addressing your, your, your issue that you brought up about the uh, problem that people basically follow the tribe where they're born. They, um, they don't question the tribe because obviously if you start questioning the tribe, you risk ostracization, you risk 
standing out, you risk being different. Um, is there anything we can do to address that? I mean, that I know that's a an issue that it seems almost intractable. Yeah. To me, it feels like there's this cynicism in Silicon Valley, which, you know, I, I'm in the tech world and I hear this, but also in the broader country that, yeah, humans are this uh, monkey-like creatures, we're very tribalistic, we're all these negative traits. But I don't think that stands up to history, right? I think human history has been a series of events of us defeating that tribalism, going from small tribes to city-states, city-states, nation-states, nation-states to, to the, the empires and empires to whatever we have now, the great nations we have now. So if anything, we have this amazing capacity as humans to come together to not see ourselves for our differences, but to unite for our similarities. And again, history proves that, the data proves that, I wrote my paper on how Americans felt a lot more unified 40, 50 years ago than they do today, even 20 years ago than we do today. So it ebbs and flows, and there's things we can do to, to manipulate that ebb and flow. And I think it's very clear that modern social and mainstream media are pushing us the other way. And I think there's no evidence. But th there is evidence that there is a part of our nature that is tribalistic, and that's what is being tapped into. But there's also ample evidence thousands of years of evidence that there's a part of us that wants to unite and form a more cohesive uh, group of humans. Hmm. You mentioned uh, a paper that you wrote. So you were actually uh, a philosopher by training. Is that correct? <laughs> I wish. It was just in my undergraduate studies. We had to write a thesis and that was the focus of my thesis. Okay. Very good. And now you're you're an entrepreneur. Uh, have you uh, done other work before Cicero? What what have you been working on? Yeah, I've worked in tech my whole career so far, and I've founded other companies before. But all along that time, I've just always been part of rational communities and the sense making communities. And you know, you've been a part of those, uh, Al. Again, we saw that huge growth spur in the early 2000s, uh, 2010s, I should say, or late 2000s. But ever since then, it's just it's stagnated. And it's a conversation we have. I've had many times online with people. And I think it's it's time that we think of solutions mm -hmm. because it really does feel like we're losing the culture war at times. So. Cicero seems like a, a positive tool uh, to to collect knowledge. Uh, how are you how are you getting the word out? How are you getting this to become, you know, the next media? How do you get people to switch from Twitter to Cicero or from Facebook to Cicero? Because these are huge multi-user things. And obviously it's an uphill battle to, to break in against these giants. Yeah, yeah, it is an uphill battle. But people every day on those same platforms are saying, hey, I hate Twitter. I hate Facebook. I want something different. So you can f go to the communities where these people exist. Again, you go on Reddit. There's entire communities dedicated to that on Facebook groups, entire communities dedicated to that. And of course, you start with those people who already are trying to find solutions to it. And that's where I've been going. Uh, and I guess I actually am curious about the same for you. So how, what have you been doing to get the voice uh, out uh, for your podcast? Well, I, I've been uh, I've made a deal with the devil. I, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram <laughs> and, <laughs> and I constantly posting advertisements for the podcast. I mean, this, you know, before I started the podcast, I didn't have Twitter. I didn't have Instagram. Uh, 
I was just, I just was, it was a Facebook warrior, basically. Uh, typical of people my age, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Dating myself. Uh, but yeah, you know, my kids are on these platforms and, and people are saying, oh yeah, you need to get the word out on all these different platforms. So uh, posting there and trying to interact and um, basically just project a, a project a brand of the rational view wherever I go. Um, and that's, that's, you know, basically been what I've been doing. So I'm hoping that through this organically we, we can grow, but you know, you have to be on, no matter how much you don't like these, these platforms, this is how you contact people. This is how you get the word out. It's, it's a bit of a catch 22. Yeah. It's funny. You know, one of the tech people that inspires me, Tristan Harris, maybe you've seen, um, his, documentary the social dilemma that was on netflix yes but he said something about how these networks are creating the tools that we're going to use to destroy them right i mean that, that's like what sister is doing that's what a lot of us substack matter maybe you've heard of some of these tools that's what they're all doing they're they're growing through social media as a replacement for social media hmm. and the movements are happening quick man and i think in the rationality community a lot of us have to have each other's backs and and keep growing that community because people this is this is the right time you look at the evidence you look at the data you look at the polls people are thirsting for a better understanding of the world that traditional media doesn't give them society is has become very polarized it seems um how do you prevent this being uh something that appeals only to half the population shall we say I mean, there's a half the population that's you know will will at least play lip service to being rational and and following the science and that sort of thing. Yeah. How do you how do you become a, a platform for all? Yeah. One thing that I feel like not enough of us do is look at the evidence of how to change minds. Right. There. This is a science, and we do have evidence on it. And I made this mistake all the time myself. Where you, I think the natural human tendency for most of us is to be like, okay, I'm going to prove this person wrong by just destroying them, by just showing all this evidence and making them cry and and you know lament at my feet. That doesn't work. But that's the general trend we're seeing. <laughs> And I fall prey to that too sometimes. It's hard not to because it's it's a mental masturbation is what I call it, right? I feel good when I do that, but I'm not achieving my goal. And again, I saw this with my grandparents and with my mom who immigrants in Kentucky and somehow they're getting videos about vaccines being bad and they shouldn't take vaccines. And it's like this crazy, you know, of course their English isn't that good. It's like this Iranian video talking about it. And I'm just like, what is, like, how's this coming? Where is this? How's this getting to them? Which, again, was one of the things that made me realize, oh, oh we need something better. Like, why is my mom going on Facebook? <laughs> but what's happening is, you know, you go on social media, you go on CNN. They're like, Republicans are evil. They're the worst. You go on NBC, same thing. You go on Fox News, they're like, oh, Democrats are evil. They're the worst. And that polarization makes it so hard to talk uh, between the lines. So going back to the evidence, how do you change minds? Not by saying, hey, the other side is evil. We live in this cartoon Star Wars world. There's the light side and I'm part of it. And there's the dark side and you're part of it. The end. But rather coming from a place of understanding. Hey, mm -hmm. you know, whatever your views on abortion may be, this is a hot one for me because I debated it a lot in Kentucky. Oh, you think you're pro-choice? 
How come? Why? You're pro-life. How come? Why? Rather than the traditional thing that's like you hate women's choices or, you, you know, you you are a horrible person who wants to kill babies. That's not going to change anybody. It's very easy to argue against a caricature. I think that's yeah. what typically happens is that you find these groups that hole up in, in different echo chambers and caricature their opposition and never talk across the across the divide. But people are a lot more similar than many people give them credit for. I, I think we all have very similar values. We all want, you know, peaceful, uh, safe upbringing and, and we want to have a good economy and we want to have uh, a good environment and jobs for our kids. And, you know, we all want similar things. Um, people aren't crazy. You know, half the population is not crazy. They have different values. And you have to realize, I think that's a, something that I've realized is that they seem irrational because I'm projecting my values onto them. Yeah. And if they had my values, they would be irrational, but they don't. They have a different, slightly different set of values. They, they, they believe different things at, at their, you know, they hold different things, different priorities. And I think that is, is where you have to um, come to the, come to the, uh, uh, the discussion with that knowledge and and understand that these aren't irrational people they just have different values and you can change those values with a discussion where you first show that you're listening right you have to show that you're listening and that you empathize with them and i think one thing that i've discovered through through this process you know with, with a title like the rational view is that most decisions we make aren't rational yep right mostly we make an emotional judgment and then try to rationalize it. Yeah. I think that's called post-hoc rationalization, <laughs> right? I forgot the exact term for it, but yeah, that is very true. Right. And we don't even know the processes that went into making that decision. It's some, you know, ape, you know, inner brain reptilian thing happening. And then we're like, Oh no, I, I'm going to identify to this. And going back to the values thing, Al, like a lot of us, again, growing up in Kentucky, I went to school in upstate New York, very liberal school, totally different than what I was anything used to. And I would hear this rhetoric about, you know, Trump's America, you know, the evil conservatives down South. And I'm like, a lot of those are my friends. I mean, I'm a very liberal person, but those are my friends. Those are my parents you're talking about. But it's so easy for them to see these people as evil, even though if you sat down with them you, you and you say, hey, evil conservative, why do you hate black people? They're like, I don't actually want the best life for them. I think the path to the best life is this way. Yeah. Oh, so we both want the same thing. We want, you know, the 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 underrepresented people in our country to live better lives. We just now have to figure out what's the best way to do this. Rather than be like, oh, you hate babies, you hate women, you hate whatever. Yeah. And you can't you can't get into that discussion if you're busy, you know, sending hate memes back and forth. Because that basically just simplifies the discussion or dumbs it down. Our whole our whole news media cycle is so dumbed down yeah. and, and the most banal stuff is on the news. And it's like, why, you know, having been around a little while, I mean, the, the level of discussion in the public sphere has gone down like significantly, it seems over the years. And, and, I don't, you know, maybe this is social media's fault, but, um, we need to talk about the difficult issues because there's a lot of shades of gray out there that need 
detailed discussion of the whole society to, to buy into to make any progress, I think. Yeah, I agree. And again, I, I like to always go back to the data and you know, the Knight Foundation did really good research on this, and I, I just want to quickly cover some of it. They found that most Americans see bias in news media as an increasing problem. It's getting worse and worse. And they think, you know, most Americans think that uh, the inaccuracies are designed to push a specific agenda. So we're living in a, in a country where more of us not only see the problem, but we know that the, the media is lying to us or we think they're lying to us. And of course, what does that do when you have people on TV, the officials, you know, whether you, you see them as experts from the CDC or whatever it may be, you feel like they're lying to you. They're trying to push a specific agenda. Mm -hmm. Well, then, of course, you're going to go to the next best thing, which is your friend on Facebook is like, hey, look at this crazy video, which is basically what happened to my mom. Look at this video that's saying, you know, the CDC is lying to you, which you already accept because you're like, oh, yeah, MSNBC and CNN, you know, Fox News lied to me. I'm not going to trust them. They put CDC in front of me. OK, I'm not going to trust that. That is the cycle we're in. Yeah. And again, wh why I think it's so important for people like you, Al, who are the scientists, who are the experts to, to free themselves from these mainstream sources and come out and talk as individuals, as humans, not as this, you know, empty suit that's like, yes, I'm walking this party line because I'm part of this organization or this, you know, party of humans. So how do you mediate content on Cicero? How do you decide what is good and wholesome and what is not is what's what's the process yeah i think i i'm a free speech absolutist most of the time but if we've learned anything in the past 20 years is that that position does not lend itself to the type of society we want to live in it's it seems to be and again maybe i'm wrong and i would love to see data but the data i've seen is that Enabling free speech absolutism on the media that we consume on social and mainstream media has led to voices that are spreading misinformation, sensationalism, and hate. So the, the path we're seeing, the preferences we're seeing in terms of what people are doing is that they're going away from those and towards a curated experience. They're like, uh, 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 I'm not just going to listen to whatever Fox News tells me. I'm only going to listen to this podcast from this person I love. I'm only going to read this newsletter from this person I love. So that is the path we're taking on Cicero. We say, okay, who are the leading thinkers of our times, right? Francis Fukuyama is a, a political scientist. He's normally considered conservative, but Everyone on all sides considers him one of the greatest minds in political science and his writings to be very important, including myself, who's very much on the left. That's the type of voice we want to have on Cicero. And that's the kind of curation we do. Who are the Francis Fukuyamas of the world? Who are the Cornell Wests of the world? Who are, you know, very rational voices on race that both sides enjoy and love? And get those voices out there rather than, you know, the people on The View coming out and being like, hey, again, everyone on, on the right is this evil, terrible alt-right thing. I, I see where you're going. Um, and certainly um, some sort of uh, curation is good. I find, in my experience at least, um, listening to a single viewpoint is more dangerous than listening to multiple viewpoints. So I find um, a lot of people are looking for confirmation bias rather than looking to challenge their beliefs. So I, you know, make sure that I 
continually steel man my arguments and challenge my beliefs whenever I can, uh, looking at you know multiple sources. So, who are are you the one who's choosing the doing the curating on Cicero, or is there a panel of people that do it, or how how do you how do you make those decisions? Yeah, so you, I hundred percent agree with you that you know we went from one extreme where we're like, oh, we only have a couple news channels that we listen to and a couple newspapers like the New York Times, and now we're moving to the other extreme where we're just like, oh, we're only going to listen to the Glenn Beck show or we're going to listen to the Ben Shapiro show, and that's all we're going to listen to. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of Cicero is to bring us back to a a more nuanced, thoughtful uh, way of interacting with this, which is like, okay, you know, Francis Fukuyama's argument might be this about what's happening with democracies, but here's what other people have to say. Here's what their opinions are uh, on this topic. And that's the kind of thing we do on Cicero is that, okay, here's a juxtaposition of different voices and what they have to say. There's no way for you to just listen to one type of voice and have that be your your diet. And again, when I interview people, when I talk to them, they want that. They say they want it. We don't see it in their behaviors most (laughs) of the time. We're seeing an increase of that in their behaviors. Don't get me wrong, but not as much as, again, the Knight Foundation did really good research on this where they're like, oh yeah, I really want to hear all sides. But then you actually look into it and only 30% of them make the effort to do that. So I think, you know, having technologies that not just that way is one way to do it. But in terms of to answer your question, how do we decide who goes on Cicero? It's really simple right now. It's three things. I basically look at a social graph. I say on Twitter, on research papers, on news articles, on podcasts, who are the voices that are talking to each other on both sides of the spectrum? And that's actually a really easy way to find people. So you can say, again, Robert George uh, at Princeton, who's a very famous conservative political thinker, has like articles and podcasts with Cornell West, who's a very liberal thinker. Okay, these people are probably voices that are really good faced. They're able to have conversation. Let's include those. The second thing uh, we do is we look at the institutions. You know, throughout history, the, the universities, the individuals, the think tanks have always been the ones to pick the, the or, or to find the expertise in their world. I, I think that's changing and a lot of people are losing trust in these institutions, but they still do a good job. You can find think tanks on both sides and kind of find those people and then use that social graph to figure it out. And then the third thing is we run a machine learning algorithm that just looks for sensationalism and hate And that really, it's like as simple as this. It's just like, does this person use language that's like, Democrats are evil, Democrats are bad, Republicans are evil, Republicans are bad. You know, anyone who has this belief is a neo-Nazi because I disagree with them. And if they're using that kind of language, we don't have interest in them because the most thoughtful people are the ones who actually really interact with the ideas of of their uh, other side and and deal with them in 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 a meaningful way rather than name calling. Indeed, that, that's that's exactly where we need to be. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a laudable goal. So how long have you been working at, at Cicero? How, when did it start? Yeah, we started, I mean, I had the idea for years. I just didn't think the time was right until recently when you see other companies doing similar things, uh, though not the same. And we started it uh, in tw- uh, March of 2021, and then we just released two weeks ago. Oh, wow. So okay. now it's available for everyone. So brand new. So how's it going? Uh, Is uh, is the response been good? 
Yeah, it's been really good. I mean, some of the feedback I've gotten, I just shared one of them with my team, uh, which I'm going to pull it up. And it was this person. Okay, there you go. It's, uh, he was like, this uh, makes learning so much more easy for me. Thank you. And it's like, oh, you hear nice. comments like that and it's just, it brings a smile to you, right? It's like a person who's wanted to learn, they wanted better information, the tools just haven't been there for them. So how much uh, how much do you have on Cicero now? How much uh, information or, or content do you have right now? Yeah, so we have about a thousand voices, which is increasing every single day. And I just added you, I think two days ago, Al, so hopefully we'll be pulling in your podcast oh, moving forward, which you. will be nice. And uh, um, we, <laughs> yeah, we have like thousands of sources we look at. So thousands of different uh, newspapers. So there's thousands. Tens of thousands of things. Okay, basically. so uh, how does how does one access it? How does one go to to learn at Cicero? Yeah, it's just Cicero.ly, C-I-C-E-R-O.ly. And as I said, you know what we have now is not the ultimate dream, Al. I think the ultimate dream is to go back to something you said earlier, which is like, how do I get an understanding of the whole picture rather than just what I've been listening to, mm-hmm. and. That's the thing that's always missing for me. You know, I love Wikipedia. I'm a child of Wikipedia, but you, it's it's very collective. And when you have that collective type of uh, knowledge creation, J- Jaron Lanier, who's one of my favorite technologists, talked about this. It's like you lose the the essence of things. You know, you you lose out on people like Elena Chen, who was at at Harvard, who came out and said, "Hey, this lab theory, lab leak theory, is is like important." And you know, she's one of the biggest voices and. Uh, in virology, yet people got really mad at her and now she's being vindicated. But that's the value of putting individual perspectives against one another rather than creating a narrative as an institution. And again, why people are losing trust in think tanks and experts and universities, because we don't think it's actually what they believe. It's like, oh, oh, I'm walking a fine line. Hmm. But that's the ultimate vision for Cicero. What are the views and ways people disagree and and what are the ways they think? So how is is you have this this huge um, log of information. How is it organized? How does someone find what they're looking for? How is it served to them? Right now, it's it's a simple feed. It's very similar to the experience you would have on, on Twitter, except without all the sensationalism and noise. Just really good content from thousands of different sources. But in the future, I want to design it to be kind of like a Wikipedia. Or like a meta-analysis, you know, you, those of us who read a lot of research papers know know how those work. I was just like, what is the meta-analysis of why the fall of Afghanistan happened? Hmm. Who do we blame? Where do people disagree? Where do they agree? You know, I, it's crazy to me because I grew up hating Condoleezza Rice, um, you know, of the U.S., the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. But I listened to a podcast with her and her take on the fall of Afghanistan was so nuanced and so interesting and way different than what you would have expected her to say. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, wow, my whole vision of this person was cartoonish. But that's the type of thing we need. Right. It's, it's like, who are these thinkers and what are they saying? What are they disagreeing on? Rather than you know, just let me listen to one person who tells me Condoleezza Rice was evil, which is how I lived my whole life, basically. It's very easy to do uh, and to fall into that yep. that mindset, especially when you don't have access to their thoughts uh, and just a caricatured ver- version of it. Yep. So if I were to go on Cicero now and I could uh, just search for anything I wanted to, and, and uh, is there any sort of an AI behind it that that 
listens, to, looks at what you've been doing, like on the social media platforms, it, this is kind of one of the bad things about it is the AI gives you what you want to see. Is yeah. there any sort of AI behind your, uh, behind Cicero or is it just a, a knowledge repository? Yeah, no, there's no AI. The The algorithm is really transparent. It's basically like, what are the topics you follow? What are the people you follow? Um, they're going to be at the top and then it's just going to be descending order from there. We want to be very careful about any AI we create and we want it to be very transparent. The whole point is to prevent that, uh, that filter bubble creation that we've seen, right? And to increase nuance and thoughtfulness rather than to put you into this echo chamber mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah we're being very very meticulous about it yeah it's it's easy to fall into the trap of, of just confirmation bias scrolling and you know looking for uh things you like um i agree is there, is there a way to break that or, or do you, you you count on the people to break that themselves well, here's the thing. Here's the cynicism that I hear. I'll, again, I'll talk to Silicon Valley people and they'll say, you know, far as that humans by nature are, are this way. They're just naturally like this. And again, that is not a nuanced scientific understanding of things because there have been points in human history and American history where we haven't been like that, where we've had even greater division and we still managed to come back from the precipice of disruption. So you know these things ebbs and flows. And then, okay, you have that historical thing, but then you look at the evidence, which is like, you know, the attrition rates on these social media is really huge. The creation of independent news sources are really large. Uh, the, the coming together of voices from different viewpoints to create podcasts is ever increasing. One of my friends, at, he's the founder of Paragraph, where, you know, you have people on two sides of an issue debate, and he has, gets tens of thousands of views. So it's like, you know, this was a really nice short-term strategy that Twitter and Facebook did, where they tapped into the worst parts of our human nature, but it was a short-term strategy. And now we're seeing the movements against it. Mm -hmm. We see entire organizations, technologies, cultural movements against it. I think it's just part of human nature to not want to be this way, to want to connect and to, to want to come to understanding. I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a more nuanced platform taking over from these monoliths that currently control our, our, our social mindset and drive it into bad corners. Uh, so I'm, I wish you all the best of luck with, with Cicero and I hope uh, Cicero can, can do well and, and maybe be that, uh, that new world-breaking algorithm that we need to <laughs> yeah. break the uh, break the pattern. I hope so. Thank you, Al. So, as a guest on the Rational View, I'm gonna sh I'm gonna send you a T-shirt for oh, the Rational you. View. <laughs> something I'm doing with with my guests now. And nice. uh, before before we end this, uh, I have a question I ask a lot of my uh, guests. Uh, what's your favorite science fiction? Ooh, it's the Forever War. Actually, let's say The Expanse, because that's a show and that's more new. I've been really enjoying The Expanse. The Expanse, okay. Cool. Have you watched it? I have not. I'll have to take a look. But I'm a Trekkie at heart. I mean, if you want to say everything, it's Trek. You know, that, you know Picard was my the, you know, TV dad, is what I call it. I'm re-watching the original series, so binging it all i couldn't uh I, I need to try it again i had a hard time getting into the original series ah, well uh, that was my, that was you know one of my first science fiction experiences you know before before star wars was star trek yeah that's it's much better than star wars i think <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on with me, Farzad. I appreciate talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Al. It was a pleasure. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.